I came across a story a while ago, a long while ago, that I found haunting. I'll tell it to you this morning. It was late in the afternoon. In fact, the sun was starting to go down. October 20, 1968. It was the Mexico City Olympics. And as it was beginning to get dark, it began to cool down. In spite of the elevation, it had been a warm day. The last of the Olympic marathon runners were being helped away to the aid stations. The few remaining spectators were starting to gather up their things and, and head toward the exits. When they began to hear whistles and police sirens coming from the entrance to the stadium. And so everyone kind of stopped what they were doing and turned, looking toward the entrance to see what on earth was going on now. When through the gate, a sole figure wearing the colors of Tanzania came limping into the stadium. His name was John Stephen Aquari. He was the last man to finish the marathon in 1968. His leg was bandaged and bloody. He had taken a bad fall earlier in the race. And now it was all he could do to limp that last lap around the stadium. But the crowd was now transfixed. They were already on their feet, and those few that weren't were now standing, applauding, cheering him on. They willed him to cross the finish line. And of course, as he did so, the celebration didn't last long. He was the only one there. Quickly, those that were present began to dissipate, but there was one reporter who hurried up to a quarry and asked the question that really was on everyone's mind. You're badly injured. Why didn't you quit? Why didn't you just give up? You had no chance of winning. A quarry with quiet dignity said these words, my country did not send me 7,000 miles to start this race. My country sent me to finish. Now you've probably heard that story because it's been around a long time, since 1968. As a preacher, I've used that story in a variety of contexts. Oh yes, I've used it in sermons like this, but I've also used it in wedding ceremonies. I've used it when young pastors were being ordained to the gospel ministry. I use it today as you are considering what it means to become a church. I use it because this is an illustration, one of many that we could choose that reminds us that what really counts is not how you start, but how you finish. And most anything in life of consequence gets tough. The beginnings are always the fun, right? Who doesn't like to get a project started? Whether it's building the, the new wing on the hospital, uh, remodeling your house, um, losing 20 pounds. We're, we're good at the start. It's finishing that is sometimes difficult. Do I need to remind you of unfinished projects around your house? Unread books that line your bookshelf and bedside stand? 
like mine? Cards, greeting cards that you have bought with good intentions, but just never got in the mail. Our lives are littered with things well begun, but half done. And sometimes it's important to realize that a, a great beginning is not nearly as important as the way one finishes. Now, you've been at this thing called planting a church for a while now. And I'll learn a few things this afternoon when we gather and I hear the history of this church. I've been a long distance away. I've heard about it. And I don't know what it's been like from your perspective. It probably seems like a long, long race. Maybe you feel like you've been in a marathon. But from my perspective, to go from planting a mission group to moving into a company of believers and now to be considered a church, you've done this thing in record time. God has been at work here. This is something to celebrate. But in reality, our ultimate objective is not just to be recognized as a church. That's a good thing. It is worthy of celebration, but we must take a bigger view of life, of success, of mission. And we realize that we're here for another bigger purpose, not just to become organized, but to, as we were reminded a little earlier, to be missionaries to this world of ours. Oh, it's amazing. There was a time when we had to go there. In today's world, those people are coming here. Within our Georgia Cumberland Conference, we worship every Sabbath in 16 different languages. Most of those, I suppose, are in and around Atlanta. Stop and think about it. The world is coming here. There is much that we can do. In fact, we have opportunities with those that come here that you don't have in some of those places. Some of those are closed countries. We don't have the freedom to evangelize, to preach this good news of Jesus' soon return with freedom in those places. But when those people come here, they, if they are hungry, searching for truth, they can find it and then they can take it back and in ways that we never could, they can share what they have learned. Oh, our mission is even bigger than we anticipate, than we recognize sometimes. So as a church congregation, we recognize that a great beginning, as you have experienced here, a great beginning is not nearly as important as the way one finishes. What's true of churches is true of individuals. Do you remember the, the first time that Jesus really got a hold of your heart? When you felt that burning conviction to, to make a decision, you weren't exactly sure what that decision was going to, to mean, but you knew that you couldn't stay the way you were. And sensing God's call on your life, you agreed. I'll give as much of myself as I know to as much of him as I know. I will be united with his commandment-keeping people, I'll be baptized. 
Oh, that's a day of celebration, isn't it? That's an important decision, a life-altering decision. Every decision of consequence later in life is influenced by that decision. So is it worth celebrating? Of course it is. But is your Christian experience complete on the day of your baptism? Not even close. It's followed up with days and weeks and months of living out that decision, of reinforcing that decision day by day, week by week, month by month. In fact, that decision, your initial commitment to Jesus is really tested not on the day of your baptism, but in the weeks and months to follow. And so there is that passage that we read in our scripture lesson today, a passage that, to be honest with you, is deeply disturbing to me. So let's look at it together. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning in verse 24. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. I'm reading from the New International Version. My Bible says, Do not... Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. I do not fight like a man beating the air. No, I beat my body and make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. In the context of a physical race, a running race, Paul makes some spiritual applications. Now, this isn't the only place where he alludes to running and the Christian life. I've often wondered if maybe Paul was a runner. I don't know. But to be honest, there are some similarities between the two that are worth remembering. Because running is, requires more than a one-time decision. You decide to run today. We heard Chris remind us that October 21, I think it is, the Seven Bridges Marathon will take place here in Chattanooga. Now, did that just galvanize you to action? Yeah. 26 miles? No problem. I could do that, you, you said to yourself. <laughs> or maybe you didn't. We all know instinctively that thinking about it is easier than doing it. Making a commitment to something really requires some, some long-term investment. I'll just tell you a piece of my story. When I took this job, I felt so consumed by it that very quickly I realized my life is, is kind of out of control. I had given up some of the disciplines that kept me healthy. So I was having difficulty sleeping at night. I was gaining weight. I wasn't handling stress very well. You, you see what's going on with me? And then somehow I realized, well, Ed, you're not getting much exercise. So my wife and I started walking. <laughs> you're saying, and you call that exercise? Yes, I do. Walking is very good exercise. 
And after we did that for months, maybe even a year, I had a coworker that was running marathons and he said, come on, let's do something together. Not a marathon, a 5K race. Three miles, I think I might be able to do that. So I started very slowly, that's the key, isn't it? From couch <laughs> to marathon, no, no, no. So we start out walking and gradually you, you run just a little bit and walk, run a little, walk. But over time, weeks and months, you increase the amount of running and reduce the amount of walking. And before long, I could run a mile again. It had been years since I had tried running a mile. Months went by. I could run two miles. Faster. Even this old body could actually experience the training effect. It's amazing. Because long-term commitment followed up with, with regular practice and experience begins to create some changes. Well, it didn't take long for me to start feeling better about myself. Yes, I was losing a little bit of weight. I was sleeping better at night. That was good. But you know, it began to affect other things too. I subscribed to Runner's Magazine because now I'm a runner. Really? Oh, but it was very motivating. I found all kinds of good information there. And I began to change my diet because diet is an important component of running. I began to monitor not just my workouts, but my rest because every long distance runner knows rest is not just the absence of training. It is a very important part of training. You can't push yourself all the time. Every day can't be a long run. Then I began to learn that if you're really going to train for a, a long distance race, you want to vary your workouts. Some are brief. Some are hills and intervals where you run as hard as you can, but for a brief period of time, and then you recover and try it again. Other times you're running long and slow. All of that has a training effect. Okay, so then the big day of the race comes. I'm excited, I'm keyed up. I'm ready to go, my adrenaline is pumping. Stop and think. It's possible to train for the race, not just decide to run the race. It's possible to train for the race. It's possible to pay your admission to the race, get your bib, show up on the starting line. It's possible to run the race. And what does our passage say? Be disqualified. Be a castaway. How is that possible? For every one of us as Christians who read these verses, we should ask ourselves, how is that possible? And what did Paul mean when he said that? No, I beat my body, make it my slave, so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Ellen White, in the book Acts of the Apostles, as she comments on this passage, she says that he might not run uncertainly or at random in the Christian race, Paul subjected himself to severe training. The words, I keep under my body, 
literally mean to beat back by severe discipline the desires, the impulses, the passions. She goes on, Paul feared lest, having preached to others, he himself should be a castaway. He realized that if he did not carry out in his life the principles he believed and preached, his labors in behalf of others would avail him nothing. Did you hear that? I hear her saying, I hear Paul saying, it's possible to do good things, to start noble endeavors. It's possible to go through the motions in a way that might be convincing to others, but may not be convincing to God. We've read how people will come to him at his second coming and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do wonderful things in your name? We healed, we cast out demons, we, we raised up churches. And he said, depart from me, I never knew you. You see, if there's not harmony, if there's not consistency between what we say and what we do, we could easily be disqualified for the prize. It was the 2004 Summer Olympics, this time in Athens, Greece. The American women's 4 by 100 relay was favored to win the gold medal. Now, the team was anchored by Marion Jones. Some of you will remember that name. She was a pretty colorful runner, a sprinter who had won four gold medals at the previous games in Sydney. So the American team was already off to a strong start when Jones took the baton for the second leg of the race. She gained ground as she ran her 100 meters and approached Lauren Williams, a young speedster that was then going to take the baton for the third leg. Williams began to run just as Jones drew near. You've seen a, a relay race. You know how it works. One person has the baton. They slap it into the hand of the, of the runner going in front of them, and away they go. <clears throat> so she reaches out and slaps the baton at Williams' hand, but Williams misses it. But every relay participant knows you don't let go of the baton until you know the other person has it. How many times do you hear the clatter of the baton and realize the race is over? No, 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 that's not going to happen to the American women. They're way too experienced. And so she slaps it again at William's hand. Williams misses it a second time. They try it a third time, another miss. Finally, on the fourth attempt, they make the, success, the successful handoff and Williams is on her way. But unfortunately, by the time they had accomplished the successful handoff, they had run beyond the transfer zone. It's marked on the track. You can only pass the baton between this mark and this mark. And they had tried and finally succeeded at that point in time. At that moment, the American women's relay was disqualified. Oh, everybody knew they were the fastest team on the track. But because they had failed to transfer the baton at the right time and in the right place, they went home, not with a gold medal, with no medal. It is possible to be disqualified from the race. 
So how can I keep that from happening? Undoubtedly, you're, you're wondering. And fortunately, God's Word answers the most important questions of life, including that one. How can I keep from being disqualified, DQ'd? Let's turn now to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews, I'm convinced, may have been written by the same author, though we're not positive of that. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, now anytime you come across the word therefore, you know that this is not the first thing being said on a topic. As a result of all that we have discussed already, therefore, now you might know enough to realize that preceding chapter, Hebrews 11, is a, a long litany of, of those who have gone before us, the heroes of the faith, those that should bring encouragement to us. Therefore, my Bible reads, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, these pioneers of the faith, perhaps even the angels and Jesus himself in heaven, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Oh, there's a lot to unpack there, isn't there? Yes, there are people who are surrounding us, encouraging us, cheering us on. Some of those may be family members. Some of those may be spiritual mentors. Some of those might be those who were already laid to rest in Jesus. It might be a godly grandmother or a mother or a dad. Somebody that poured their life into you, said, you can do this. I, I believe in you. I'm praying for you. Oh, you may not have made the decision while they were still alive, but now the memory of those people gives us courage, gives us resolve. We're going to, we're going to finish this race. Since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us, here's the first of several specific suggestions, let us throw off everything that hinders. Are, some, are there some things in your life that are hindering your walk with Jesus? Some habits? Some time commitments? Some personal relationships? some distractions? Are there some things in your life that are hindering you? Oh, that God would give us insight to know what those are, that he would bring conviction to us. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Oh, the, the devil is a mastermind at knowing how to distract us, how to prevent us from really keeping our mind in the game. In fact, he knows that sometimes the thing most effective is not a blatant sin, but just one of those things that is, you know, the, the good is sometimes the enemy of the best. It's good, but it's not good enough for what God has called you to do. You find yourself spending a lot of time and energy in one area, but if you really expose your life to the influence of God's Holy Spirit and pray, God, where do I need to get serious with you, 
He, through His Holy Spirit, will give you that insight. And when He does, are you prepared to lay it aside? Yes, throwing off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Perseverance, sticking with it, even when the going is tough, especially when the going is tough. Your personal commitment is tested in the hour of discouragement, of defeat, of frustration. Your collective commitment as a church, the South Bay Church, you will be tested, not this afternoon, at a celebration. You will be tested six months from now when every attempt that you have made to find a property that meets your needs is rebuffed. You're frustrated. You're at the end of your ropes. No, you're not. Let's run with perseverance. Everything that happens to us is within God's plan, God's purpose. He can even use those difficult times, those failures, those, those times when we're most discouraged to grow us stronger in Him. So let's run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Notice it's not the race of our own devising. Oh, I think I'd rather just go this way, Jesus. No, the race marked out for us. He is the one that determines the route, and we will trust Him in the process. And then notice verse 2. Talk about a, a great strategy. Let us fix our eyes on ourselves. on our strength, on the gifts that He has given us. Let's fix our eyes on other people in this church who should know what they're doing. No, let's fix our eyes in one place, on Jesus. And why? The author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is the one who started this work in your life in this church. Jesus is the one who started this thing. And we can have complete confidence that the one who began this good work will carry it forward to completion on the day of Christ Jesus. Yes, he is the author and perfecter of our faith. That's why, if there's any question, if there's any doubt, take a quick evaluation. Where are my eyes? What am I looking at? We will fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And then drop down to verse 3. Consider him who endured, excuse me, consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We're in this for the long haul. Don't grow weary in well-doing. We're going to stick with this thing. We're going to see it through. Some of you read the book that was written many years ago by Jim Collins, Good to Great. You recall some of those illustrations. One being of a cross-country team that had moved from average, in fact, strong in their state, to consistently winning state championships. 
And after the second or third year, I don't remember what the deal was, but the coaches kind of got together after the season for a celebratory meal. You know, one of those times to just kind of sit back and relax. The, the pressure is off, but a chance to, to kind of talk and, and, and debrief, so to speak. And one of those coaches turned to another and said, so why is it that we have taken state three years in a row? Everybody else is trying to do the same thing, and our strategy is really so simple. He was referring to the mantra that they used from the first day of practice to the last race of the season. It was simply, we run best at the end. And so, after talking through what that meant, they would tell the kids, this is just a training run, but we want you to focus on negative splits. We want you to run a little faster the second mile than the first mile. So pace yourself. Pace yourself at the beginning because the real test comes at the end. We run best at the end. That was true in the training runs. It was true when they began racing against opponents. It was true late in the season when everybody is tired. They reinforced it with a very simple strategy. They would place their coaches at various places along a cross-country course and particularly, they paid attention to the field at the two-mile mark. There's still a mile left in the race of a 5K race. So the coach would be standing there recording where their teammates were in relation to everybody else. A coach at the finish line was also recording where their, where their team came through in relation to everybody else. And their runners were affirmed based on how many of their opponents they passed in the last mile. Why? Because we run best at the end. Is it possible that that could be our strategy as well? Oh yeah, we feel good about where we are today, but we're beginning this Christian endeavor, this church history. We're, we're beginning this, we're, we're taking this important step today with an eye on the finish line. Oh, we've been given a everything we have now, but we run best at the end because our eyes are fixed on Jesus. He knows. He's set out the path for us. He's got this thing, and we're sticking with him because we run best at the end. Disqualified for the prize? Not me, and I don't think you're interested in that either. Committed all the way. Easing off as we approach the finish line? I don't think so. We're stepping it up. No time to moderate our commitment now. This is time to renew and intensify it. Mark Batterson wrote a book a couple years ago entitled All In. And uh, the, the sermon title comes from the very introduction to this book. I found it so compelling and haunting, I haven't been able to forget it ever since reading it. And now you'll know why. He says, a century ago, a band of brave souls became known as one-way missionaries. They purchased single tickets to the mission field without the return half. And instead of suitcases, they packed their few earthly belongings into coffins. As they sailed out of port, they waved goodbye to everyone they loved, everything they knew. They knew they'd never return home alive. A.W. Milne was one of those missionaries. 
he set sail for the New Hebrides in the South Pacific. I believe we call it Vanuatu now. Knowing full well that the headhunters who lived there had martyred every missionary before him. Milne did not fear for his life, however, because he had already died to himself. His coffin was packed. For 35 years, he lived among that tribe and loved them. When he died, tribe members buried him in the middle of their village and inscribed this epitaph on his tombstone. When he came, there was no light. When he left, there was no darkness. When did we start believing that God wants to send us to safe places to do easy things? Patterson continues. That faithfulness is holding the fort. That playing it safe is really safe. That there's any greater privilege than sacrifice. That radical is anything but normal. Jesus didn't die to keep us safe. He died to make us dangerous. Faithfulness is not holding the fort. It's storming the gates of hell. The will of God is not an insurance plan. It's a daring plan. The complete surrender of your life to the cause of Christ isn't radical, it's normal. It's time to quit living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. It's time to go all in and all out for the all in all. It's time to pack your coffin. So that's my question to you. Is it time to pack your coffin? Oh yes, exciting day. But we're not at the finish line yet. In fact, God's plan for this church is just being birthed because there are still a lot of people in Hamilton County that don't know him. He's calling you to be a one-way missionary, fully committed to him. Ready to pack your coffin?